do me a favour, if you are listening, please hit the subscribe button, like, share, rate, review the podcast. It really means more than you realise. I believe every business owner has a story to tell. Through seeking true, authentic insights about the entrepreneurial journey, I provide a platform for our peers to share their stories and inspire those that listen. This is the County Business Talks podcast, powered by Picture Book Films. Hello. Hello. Welcome to my guest 12 of 24 of the podcast. We're halfway there, Lee. We're halfway there. Amazing. Welcome, Lee. Otterson Water, how are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. I'm very excited. I'm so it's so great to have you on. So thank you for got it. We've obviously got to know each other over the last few months. We've working um, with Freedom Works and, and in that space, and it was amazing. Listening to some of the stuff that you've done was was, was fascinating. So great to, to have you on and, and have this conversation. So look, we're gonna we're gonna jump straight in. Tell tell listeners a little bit about your story and your career. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's exciting. I've been following your podcast for quite a long time now, and um, I enjoy listening to the stories that people share with you. So, <laughs> big breath. My yeah, my story. So, I was born in South Africa, um, and I lived there until I was nineteen. So, life in South Africa was tricky. It was um, during the apartheid era when I was born. So, growing up, it was a difficult place to be. Yeah. There were lots of things that were going on around that sat very uncomfortably with me, even as a very young child. Um, my family life wasn't brilliant. It was often, yeah, it was, we were poor. So we had, there was a lot of poverty. There was a lot of alcoholism. There was a lot of, um, it was very unsettled, yeah, I think, yeah. for most of it. Um, so yeah, my childhood wasn't, was an amazing experience. So by the time I was 16, I left home and I moved out and um, by the time I was 19 I left the country and I came to England and initially oh, it was wow. yeah my own so I worked I think the year between 18 and sort of 19 I worked in a restaurant for hours and hours and hours every week to save up money and eventually I had enough money to buy a plane ticket and um, and that was it I packed my backpack and got on a plane and arrived in England. So I left South Africa, it was 35 degrees. I got off the plane, it was three degrees. I'd never been at three <laughs> degrees before. Um, yeah, so a, what a shock. Your, what was your relationship like with your parents at that time? What did they think about you getting up I mean, by that stage, I lived on my own for the last three years. So um, when I left home, it was it was a difficult relationship. I never really had a particularly positive relationship with my parents. There was a lot of neglect in childhood. Um, a lot of my childhood, I don't remember. There are sort of huge, huge chunks of it that I've just completely kind of blocked out of my memory. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it was nothing really. There wasn't a conversation about it. I, that was my, you know, what I wanted to do next with my life. And so I did it um, mm -hmm. and arrived in England. And it was, it was scary and exciting. And um, yeah, just all, it's like I'd seen it so much on TV before and you've seen images of, you know, Piccadilly Circus and then coming out of the underground station and standing in front of this building that you've seen on TV for years was was incredible. So, yeah, that's kind of where it started. It's a brave thing to do at 19 years old to, to leave the country, don't it? And did you, did you have people in the UK that you knew or...? So yes and no. Um, I have two brothers and one is 11 years older than me. The other one is 14 years older than mm. me. And I hadn't seen both of them since I was about eight. Mm. So by the time I was eight, they both left the house and left the country. Mm. And so one of my brothers was living in Brighton at the time. Mm. And, um, and I hadn't seen him. So I think I was eight or nine the last time I saw him. And then I turned up as a 19 year old on his doorstep and was sort of, hi, you know, I'm here to stay. Um, and it was, it took about five years for us to get to know each other as adults. Um, I didn't live with him for the whole of the five years. I stayed with him for about three months, but it was an interesting, it was an interesting time because we had to get to know each other as, as strangers, you know, we were related by blood, but not, we had no history together. Yeah. Well, so, so, talk then about, I guess, career-wise and stuff, so you've come over to what, where did you go into then and, and talk to me a little bit about that and work-wise from that period? So my first job in England was working in a factory in Hove. Um, and that was, I think it's something I will never, ever forget. It was the most difficult job I've ever done, mm. purely from 
a kind of boredom factor. So I remember I was working on an assembly line and um, putting together circuit boards. And it was, I think, eight or nine hours a day of literally a repetitive movement of putting tiny little pieces into, into yeah. a green board. And I remember having to, when I went to the loo, sort of trying to make it last a whole five minutes in the toilet, just so that was five minutes that I didn't have to be sitting at that, you know, at that desk doing that job. So um, that was tricky. So I did that for about three months just to save up some money. And then I moved up to London and I started working in Harrods. Okay. And for me, I think if I look back, that was the beginning of, um, I think, the making of me in terms of customer service. So okay. where I learned to to really, really understand your customer, what it is that they want, how they want to be spoken to, how they want to be served, yeah. you know, what's important to them and, and about creating a customer experience, not just yeah. fulfilling a function. Yeah, sure. And so how long was you there at Harrods for? So I was there for probably two and a half, nearly three years in total. Um, but after about six months, um, I applied for a position on a management training program in Harrods. And there was, um, I think, 2,000 applicants and they selected four people and I was one of the four. So it was, um, it was catering uh, management and corporate hospitality. And so over a period of about a year, I got to work in every single department in Harrods, which was amazing. Um, but also work with top chefs from all over the world. Um, Amaz amazing mentors and, and it's such an interesting place to work in terms of the history and just the clientele that they have there's so much secrecy around how they run the business and it was a great place to learn um they had at the time i think 17 restaurants um so i worked in all of the restaurants um in every single you know position within the restaurant so i could learn the business as a whole um and then after a year i was done with my course and um it was yeah time to move on mm -hmm. well, Growing up, then obviously we've been a difficult child, but did you had any uh, sort of ambitions, or, or what, what was you, what was your thought process about? Oh, what I want to do growing up. What was was there anything that you had in mind that you really wanted to do? Or? No. So I think growing up, it was a funny thing because. We never talked about the future in my house ever. Mm -hmm. So there was never any discussion about plans, even you know, in three months time, let alone in a year's time or when you're older, there was never any hope for anything else. Life was always very difficult, both financially and emotionally. And so we never really, we never really talked about it. And so for me, I didn't, I didn't have anything to aspire to. Mm -hmm. um, and even if I did, you know, there was no point in talking about it anyway, because nobody was interested. So for me, it was about getting out. That was my initial motivation, yeah. getting out of that environment and creating a life for myself somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and then that just kind of continued throughout my sort of late teens and into my 20s. It was all about making a better life for me. Yeah. I, love that. I, want to, I, want, oh, I want to move on to talking about obviously something we both share, obviously a real passion for is building communities. So well, talk, talk to me about, I want to obviously fast forward a little bit and talk a little bit about the, the inspiration behind Worthy Mums and Dads that you launched in 2012. Talk to me about that. So 2012, I had three very young children. Um, I had, what was it, nearly a six-year-old, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And um, my husband worked for the emergency services at the time. And so he was working horrific shifts. Um, and it was lonely. It was really, really lonely. It was overwhelming to have three kids, three young children. Mm, sure. My daughter, um, it's interesting because when you were talking about Luca earlier and his story, so my daughter does have cerebral palsy. And whilst she, you know, she there's a, there's a spectrum, isn't yeah, there? And, course, and some, you know, some children have many, many challenges, very difficult, life-changing challenges, and some children are mildly affected. I'm lucky that she's mildly affected or she's lucky that she's mildly affected in that she doesn't have any physical disabilities but when she was born she um everything seemed fine the birth was a difficult birth and um and she was born by emergency cesarean as well yeah. so when i heard your story earlier it was it, it kind of brought back a lot of those memories for yeah. me but we didn't know early on so it's only kind of as she was reaching different milestones or supposed to be reaching different milestones in her early childhood that we noticed that she wasn't. Um, and so she was diagnosed when she was three with uh, hemiplegia. And, um, and that what resulted from that was 
her needing to have a lot of input from physiotherapists, from occupational therapists, from speech and language therapists. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was lonely. It was a really lonely journey. I didn't have parents around to support me. Um, we didn't have a network of people that we could rely on to say, can you pick the kids up from school or can you pick the kids up from nursery? Mm-hmm. So it was it, Worthy Moms and Dads was born out of a need for, for a community, for a tribe of people where I could go, even if it wasn't in real life, just to say, I'm having a really tough day today as a parent or, you know, has anyone else experienced this or I'm feeling this, I'm feeling lonely, I'm feeling isolated, I'm feeling overwhelmed and having a tribe of people who could really relate to that and offer support in a very non-judgmental environment. So it started with about five people um, and now we're a community of about just over 20,000. Wow, that is a phenomenal, phenomenal statistic. Martin, what's fascinating actually listening to that around the, I guess for a lot of people I've sort of spoke to, and, and you heard me obviously speaking earlier with Giles about entrepreneurs and business owners or whatever it is that ultimately a lot of things are born out of having a problem or and, and trying to find a solution for that for that problem. And, and listening to that, like building, building a community from something you just want to reach out and need people around you to and and like I said that passion we both share for community I guess is is that certainly I guess out of lockdown as well like we realize that we need to be around people and we need people in us it's such a such a valuable thing but I'd like to start that from from that small thing and, and it's, it's, it's at the start where there was just just sort of five of you but that that gave you what you needed in, in relation to, yeah, to support it really did because i was really isolated and um i think i think when you know you know what it's like when your kids are little and yeah. whilst you i didn't have you know i didn't have twins you have twins but having three so close together i had a four-year-old a two-year-old and a newborn yeah. all at the same time and at the same time my husband started working away from home up in northeast london so he was away probably four days a week um, and he'd stay overnight. So it was just me and the kids and it was, um, it was lonely. And I think that that was what I needed. I built the community because that's what I needed. I needed yeah. people to be there for me, but also I wanted to be there for other people who might've been experiencing isolation as well. Yeah, and I think, uh, again, you sort of reach out and uh, actually being able to, firstly, I can be brave enough to go, you know, I'm set this up because for whatever reason because I, I was looking for support and being again look at the whole vulnerability and people being able to communicate a little bit better and be able to show vulnerability and that it's not weakness it's just yeah. you know and because I, I can imagine i even see it like sometimes with like kelly's a very honest person and she but on the whatsapp groups with the mums at school and it can sometimes be that you know you've got to portray yourself as you know yeah we've got all our stuff together and everything yeah it's parenting olympics isn't it and it's such a such a toxic it's dangerous it's a really dangerous environment um i think where you even if other people aren't judging you you're judging yourself against other people as a parent and you feel like you're not coping Mm. and everyone else is coping and you don't want to be judged you don't want to to feel like you're failing your children you don't want to feel like you can't cope with everything that you need to cope with and i think i say say women but because it's majority women who stay home with their kids you know they think that they've got to raise the babies and keep on top of the laundry and have a sparkling clean house and you know produce a michelin star meal every night before their other half gets home and you know and you know teach the kids you know british sign language and all the rest of it by the end of the day and walk the dog and cut the grass and whatever it is and actually you don't have to do any of those things and it's about about learning that you don't have to do any of those things that actually if you get up you know, in the morning and you manage to keep all the kids alive all day and everybody goes to bed happy, then that's enough. It's, it's such a powerful narrative to 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 talk about because I, I completely agree and, I, and, you know, I'd love you to chat to Kelly more about that because I, I remember especially at that, those early stages, she would constantly criticise herself and like you said, I'm just not, not doing not enough. Not good enough. And, 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 and again, that we, we've, I guess, you know, we've got quite a nice little community in Saltine and it's lovely, but um, we haven't got 
a family network necessarily down here because everyone's back up in Essex still. So it was a, it was a really difficult. It was and I, I was out working a lot. So and the nature of the business I do out of an evening suit was it. I went through a really tough time. So for you to create something along those lines is like I say, I, firsthand I could see how much that would have been needed. I guess even in, even in sort of Brighton. But and how has it how has it grown from? So what, talk, talk to me about what sort of things do you do within the community? So I remember the day when somebody invited one of their friends into our group and I saw the request come through and my initial reaction was, how dare you? How dare you invite someone into our private <laughs> sanctuary that I've created? And about five seconds later, I thought, actually, how nice is that? That you, you know, you think so much of this group that you want to invite other people in to benefit from it. Yeah. And then it just kind of grew from there. So people would invite people that they knew. We'd talk about things that were, you know, topical, meaningful. Maybe it was something like, is it stripey jumper day on Monday at school? Or, you know, deeper things like, you know, I, I you know, I, I'm home with my two week old baby. I can't even go to the toilet. The baby won't stop crying. I haven't had a shower in three days, um, you know, and it and it's just overwhelming and I hate my life. And you're supposed to be joyful and you're supposed to be happy and you're supposed to bond with your baby straight away because that's what the media tells you that's what television tells you but actually i don't feel that way and to have other people come and say i don't feel that way either and it's um it's so yeah it's just liberating because you release all of that guilt because you know as a parent your whole life is dominated by guilt. You're either not doing enough or you're not doing the right things or you're not, you know, it's just guilt, it's guilt driven and it shouldn't be that way. So once people started joining the community, it gained momentum quite quickly. We had to take on a moderator after a year to help wow. me because it was getting too busy. Um, and then it just grew and grew and grew and grew. And so fast forward, what are we, 11 years, maybe nearly 12 years, um, have a team of five moderators that help yeah. in the background. Um, and I think right from the beginning, I've always been really clear because I, I have, I skipped out a bit earlier, but I have a long um, history of working in social media. So I started yeah. working and when I mean, uh, my daughter was just um, six months old, I started working for a social media um, uh, agency in Brighton. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Brighton is late now in London. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was there for nine and a half years while she was little and I had my other two children. And what I learned during that time was about people's behavior online, how they talk to one another, what's important to them. I worked on a variety of different accounts. I worked for a lot of charities. I worked for a lot of retailers, but it was all to do with user generated content. So what yeah. people write when they're online, what people write when people aren't watching them. Um, yeah. And I learned a lot from that. So a lot of the the lessons that I learned from that and the sort of guidelines that were put in place, I carried over to my community. So from the beginning, it's been about keeping it nice, keeping it respectful, keeping it non-judgmental, keeping it a safe space for people to come and share their stories, share their problems, ask for help um, in an environment where there is no danger of negative repercussion. Um, and so that's always been really fundamental in the beginning, putting those boundaries in place and, and making it safe and where people don't conform, and I use that word yeah, yeah. carefully, but where they don't conform, they're not invited to stay. Yeah. Um, because if you're vulnerable and you're in an environment like that and you feel like you can't share because people will react negatively or, or not be supportive, then you're not going to share. And then, you know, then it's pointless. Yeah, and just back into the WhatsApp groups. With the, Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. We're, we're great, we're, you know, my, uh, my, my son, I thought, was done X, Y, and Z. They yeah. got this in the test, and you know, they starved a week and and, and all that. And I, 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 I'm not trying to say that that's so negative that you, you know you should celebrate when your kids do well, of course. But there, there's certain environments that you can do that. I think it, that sort of one-upmanship just makes always, people feel bad. Yeah, you know, it's lovely. It, you're right. It is lovely to celebrate your children's achievements, but I think there is a way that you can do it where it's not negatively impacting other people. Absolutely. You know, I had a child who, who tried her hardest every single day of her life all the way through school and didn't win the awards and didn't get nominated for star of the week and, you know, didn't get to bring the class hamster home and, you know, yeah. all of those things. She didn't get it because she didn't meet the, um, the expectations that were set by children who were more able than her in certain areas. And so for her, it was devastating, you know, to hear other people had, you know, got star of the week for the fifth time this year or whatever it was, and she didn't. So it, yeah, it, it's a really difficult one. And even within your family unit, you know, we have three very 
different children um, and differently able children as well. And you have to be really mindful of how you celebrate each one of their achievements in front of the other one, because, you know, it's delicate. It's, and, and I think celebrating enough for the person who is being celebrated, but not too much. So you're hurting the person that isn't being celebrated. It's a fine balance. we constantly question because obviously again having twins you've got there's a constant comparison yeah they're, they're of course together, they're doing the same age again to the same and and i, I talked about it recently on, on one of the podcasts i think that sienna is very much like kelly she's very academic she loves to read you get up in the morning she's reading she's sitting down she's reading she comes home from school she's walking along the street reading like she loves it so she, and I, I love that obviously um but we, you know we've been contacted about lucas and oh, he's a little bit behind in it i'm not i just don't think he just doesn't engage necessarily the way that that she does in school, maybe he so. just doesn't like reading yeah and, and, that, well, <laughs> and, that's, that's, and that's okay but that's what i mean that for me yeah. I, I got a little bit frustrated because i i wasn't overly academic i've done okay at school i wasn't overly academic and i just think not not you know because he didn't do great in his sets which he had been tested at seven years old which blows my it's mind bonkers. yeah I'm, I'm like it's just i think there's that element that of course we want to go oh well done seeing that's great you've got to start keep reading doing really well but that is being labeled at seven years old i was a little bit behind and that's that negative mindset that's going into him i, I just oh, frustrates me so i'm like no he just he's just not engaging right now with mm-hmm. how they're teaching or what the curriculum that he's going down and i think yeah like you said there's that balance that you've got as a as a parent you there's exactly what you're saying there's that balance that you've got to try and get get right which is tricky it is really hard and um i think as an outsider when you look in on that situation it's really easy to say well you know that's not fair you know the person who is being celebrated should have every right to be celebrated and actually you know the other person just needs to suck it up but in reality sometimes it's not possible for them to do that and and there are so many other aspects to consider as well and you need to consider how damaging that might be for your other little person um, in the long term you know and now in my 40s i recognize how much i'm dealing with now that started when i was a child and i think many of us do that we you know you go through your your childhood and then your teens and then your 20s and your 30s and then you spend your 40s in therapy (laughs) fixing all the things that happened before so yeah i'm really conscious of that when i'm with my kids yeah okay so uh, so we'll touch a bit there do you look back at from where you are now are you looking back at your childhood and questioning a lot of those things that happen to you and, and stuff now and, and 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 does that shape how you as a parent are as well 100 percent really? yeah 100 percent. i i can say in all honesty that as a parent i don't always get it right none of mm. us do but i wake up every single day and i try my best i really do try my best i'm i try to be uh, a mindful parent um, I try to think through everything that I say and everything that I do and the way that I interact with my kids because I'm fully aware of the impact that it has on your mental health long term mm-hmm. and so much damage can be caused so easily. So for me, I try to parent purposefully um, for that reason because my childhood was was awful, really mm-hmm. awful. And um, so I parent in the opposite way to what my parents did. That's, that's a- you know, I alluded a bit earlier, I guess, when sort of talking about Rachel, that we've got choices in life, aren't we? We can become, you know, a product of our environment. So you brought up in that way. So you then carry on that journey yeah. with your kids and go along that, or you break that mold and go, I'm not going down that And choose something else. This. Yeah, yeah. And this is, uh, I'm not going to make those mistakes. I'm not going to do it. And you learn from that experience. And that's such an amazing I guess an amazing thing to be able to do like to it because like i said i do believe we will have a choice at some point but it, it that is sometimes it just uh, for circumstances push us in that direction which is that's all we know so that's how we do it but to hear you talk about it and uh, check in with yourself and think i'm i'm not gonna i'm gonna be the opposite to, to that and i'm gonna give my kids an amazing life and be there for them and yeah it's an amazing thing it's it's not always easy and i don't always get it right and i think your kids as a parent your kids have an an 
an amazing ability to to hold a big mirror up to you and show you exactly who you are as a person. And sometimes I open my mouth and my mother's voice comes out um, and those aren't great moments. Um, but I also think you need to you need to learn that it's okay to apologize to your children. Um, and it's important to apologize to your children if you have been, you know, unfair or unjust or, um, you know, impatient with a decision based on limited facts. It's important to say sorry because you, not only are you acknowledging your, you know, mistake, error, whatever you want to call it, you're teaching them humility and you're teaching them that actually it's okay to mess up sometimes mm -hmm. as long as you recognize it and you know it's how you fix it that's important such a, I, I completely agree with you and i, I try and I, again i don't always get it right but certainly try and have those levels of communication with the kids and, and go actually i'm really sorry daddy's done wrong there i've made a mistake or whatever that yeah. i think it's okay to do that I, 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 definitely I want to, um, with, 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 with the community side of thing, I really want to, because it's something, again, that like I said, I'm, I'm so passionate about, what, what would, you, would you believe is the, the key to building a, a, a that the staggering numbers of building that community of what, what you have done in, in the last 11 years, but what, what do you think is the key to building such a strong community? Yeah? I thought hard about this when you sent the question before, and I think for me, the first one is really understanding who your audience is and really, really, really understanding who they are, not understanding who you think they are. Um, the second thing is, I think, well, I think it's important to be authentic and bring your authentic self. If you're going to do it, do it properly. And I think for a community to really work, it has to be value driven. So based on values and, and stick to your values as well. Don't be, you know, distracted by shiny objects. Um, but yeah, I, I think those are the key ingredients for me and, and what that has done for me and what that continues to do is build and maintain a really loyal audience, one that, you know, sticks with you, one that engages with you, because there's a difference between, you know, an engaging audience and one that engages with you. Those are two different things. Um, but yeah, I'd say those are probably the key elements for me. Yeah. I, love it. I do love it because I don't, I don't, like I said, I think certainly from an engagement point of view it's fine to maybe go oh get, we've got this amount of numbers in yeah, in our community but actually only that amount of people actually engage with us so yeah. like you said that it can on the face of things sometimes things can look nice and shiny yeah thing, but, don't be dazzled uh, by the numbers yeah, because they're yeah. less meaningful than um than the impact your content has and for me words are really powerful yeah. and you have to be really careful how you use them because they have the ability to to do really great things and they have the ability to cause a lot of damage yeah. so use them carefully and i guess one, one thing i want to read up read my take from that is i think i always go back to the whole culture side of stuff and i think from if you've got same within a business or you know home life whatever it is if you create a strong culture within that company you've got some values there yeah and you stick to them so what i found fascinating what you mentioned earlier about you know what if someone comes into the community we could take everyone in we'll come in when yeah. our numbers go up and we're 50 000 members, yeah. but actually you know what you've come in and had a negative impact on that and you've um, whereas if you've got those core values and that culture because yeah. like you know, within a company that's uh and you stick to those it will grow organically and it will get but more importantly it'll grow with the right people yeah. because not everybody is your person and that's okay you're not mm. going to be everyone's person and they're not going to be yours you know some people may look at our community and say wow you've been going 11 12 years and you've only got twenty thousand people in your community and yes i may only have twenty thousand in the community but they are the right people for that community they're the people mm. who you know have values that are aligned to ours they speak to people respectfully they're engaging they're supportive mm. they're non-judgmental they're inclusive um they're kind um that really came out in the pandemic really like mm. I, I just saw such amazing humanity come out in the community um with offers of support it was the first place i mean we, i get this all the time <laughs> i met somebody in a co-working space one day and um i introduced myself and she said oh you know what do you do 
And I said, oh, you know, I do this and that. And, I, you know, I have this this community online. And she said, oh, what's the community? And I said, it's Worthy Mums and Dads. And she started crying. And she hugged me and she grabbed me and she was squeezing me and she was crying all over me, which made me cry. Um, <laughs> and then she said, I'm so sorry. She said, I feel like I'm meeting a celebrity. And I said, that's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and she said, your community is the first thing I look at when I wake up in the morning. It's the first thing I look at. It, You know, when we moved to the area with very young children we felt lost we felt like aliens that had landed on the moon and your community created um, a sense of belonging for us it was a place where we could come and get advice you know where to find a nursery which schools were the best which area to move to um, you know we made friends we made real life friends from your community we can come there and ask advice on things we can find information about you know holiday clubs or childminders or whatever it is and she said every single day when I wake up your community is the first thing I look at when I open my eyes and that was really really um, moving well, absolutely, as you're, as you're talking to me about it, I can't, for me, running a business, a community, whatever it is you do, that we want to try and do things with some and validation, and again, you heard me talk about it earlier about how we measure success, and that there's so much that narrative out there about measuring success on what financial gain people have, but listening to stories like that, for me, that that's success that Definitely. is where true success lies in those relationships you've forged or spaces that you've created for people to be able to forge those relationships lifeline for some people yeah. you know so, yeah. and especially since facebook changed and in groups you have the option to post anonymously that has that has opened up so many doors for people who are in very vulnerable situations, people going through domestic violence, people going through marriage breakdowns, mm. people going through, you know, horrific experiences with their children. They can come there and they can be vulnerable and they can be honest and they can, you know, seek advice and they can be very, very clear on, you know, what it is that they're struggling with. And they can be open and honest without any fear of any comeback from anybody. Mm. Um, and that's what that community provides such an amazing thing I'm, I'm really i'm really intrigued actually just to i just want to delve in a little bit now looking at you, you listen to your childhood and the, i guess the negative experience you've had from that to come in and be a mother figure or created something like this where you built something where you want to share love and that's such an amazing turnaround. The I'm, I'm just keen. To, is it is it, like you, you talked about the inspiration behind it earlier? Of that, actually, it was a need. There was a problem there. But when you analyse it and look into it, do you, do you think it goes deeper than that? That there was from that negative con in, in your childhood. That that's why you've created this and really. Definitely. I didn't know it at the time. I do now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely. I crave love all the time mm. i love loving and i love being loved and i'm i say i'm fortunate i'm not i'm not fortunate and I'll, I'll kind of validate that in a second but i'm fortunate enough to be extremely loved i i'm in a, a wonderful marriage with a man who adores me and um and i'm really grateful for that my, i have a wonderful relationship with my children not every day i've got three teens in the house so it's hard <laughs> but, but fundamentally it's yeah it's a, it's it's brilliant. The relationships that I have with my friends, my circle of friends, I've had for many, many, many years, the vast majority of them, more than 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. um, and they're the type of friendships where if they called one day and said, I need a kidney, you'd be like, where do I need to be at what time? You know, those. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I love that feeling. I, I think I think that's all you have at the end of your life. You know, you can be as successful as you, you want, whatever that looks like for you. You can make all the money in the world if that's what motivates you. But at the end of your life, when you have nothing, all you have is love and all you have is the relationships with the people in your life that you've built over that time. And that's it. You know, all the money in the world is not going to help you at that point. So for me, that's my focus. It's a beautiful thing to say and, um, and, and so, so relevant, I think. And so I've, I, 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 I run a podcast and I talk to various different entrepreneurs, business owners, and, and, and look at Giles on earlier, just sell for $450 million or whatever that looks like. And, and I'm always been a very ambitious person, I think. And I'm, still, I'm, I'm on a bit of a, a 
a journey, I think, of self-discovery, really, for, for myself. Hence, this is the cathartic uh, therapy of, of the podcast that I, I run, I guess, because I'm constantly asking these type of questions. But And I always ask about success and what that looks like. But actually, what we're really searching for is is love and happiness. Yeah. And I'm certainly, I'm just questioning a lot about, I guess, myself at the moment and the paths I'm on and the journeys I'm going on. And I, and I look around and I think, I go back to the time when I was 40, which I've shared a couple of times on the podcast, where I was really low point and felt really down because I hadn't achieved stuff, and et cetera, et cetera. But then if I died tomorrow, I'd start surrounded by actually people who loved me and yeah. like family were here tonight and people in the business community who support me and, and so loving towards me. And I've got the same, same as you. I've got friends who I've grown up with, actually, who, are, who do exactly that. They die for me the next day. And, and that kind of... If I measured my success based on the relationships I've built, well, I'm doing all right and I'm okay with that. I think yeah. that's uh, and, and there's the other part of me that's torn with this, do I need to achieve something else? And there's a real mixture there. And I, what I actually want to be is this person here where we're just discussing again. I'm really content and happy with that. And fighting off this other thing on my shoulder going, you know, you need to still do more. You need to prove something to whether it's myself or someone else. I don't know. Maybe God, you're setting. No, I get it. And maybe you're setting your, your goals by other people's expectations or other people's perception of what success means yeah. and what success means. I mean, listening to Giles and, and Rachel earlier was amazing. I mean, really amazing. But, um, you know, with, with the greatest respect to Giles, I couldn't think of anything worse than having a company with 500 people. Yeah. The, immense responsibility of that would actually probably kill me um you know 450 million pounds it sounds great no thank you no thank you not for me it's not um it's not that i don't think money is great i think money is amazing you can do brilliant things with money you can change lives with money it's you know it's not a dirty word money is great it's not what motivates me it doesn't mean i don't i don't need money everyone needs money but it's not the driving force for me and I think, you know, for you, you need to set your goals by your standards and by your mm-hmm. values and what's important to you and try not to focus on, you know, how other people measure it. And if, you know, if making money or an amount of money, whatever that figure is, is is actually not the driving force for you. If the driving force is spending more time with the people you love or, yeah. you know, doing good, creating mm-hmm. good in the world, then do that. It's yeah. good for us. I love it. Thank you. Look, to, to, just before we come towards a couple of little bits of tools here, now just talk to me about some of the, uh, again, challenges in your personal life, but through, through, you know, through challenges, through running business journeys and, and in the social media world and, and your career, talk, talk to me about some of the challenges that you faced over your career. So there's been loads. So uh, also in 2012, same year, I started a business. So at the same time that I started a community, the reason I started the business was because as a mother with three children, six, four and two, I was completely unemployable. You know, my my daughter had hospital appointments all the time. Um, I needed, you know, complete flexibility in terms of when I needed to pop out during the day to take her here, there and everywhere. And and it wasn't possible to find an employer that um, that would be that accommodating, you know. So, so that's why I started the business. I started it um, to service a need. So I found um, it, it was an educational travel business. I identified a need or a gap in the market, you know, let's call it that. Um, and I did a lot of research, so a lot of research into what those clients wanted, what they needed, what their pain points were, um, who they were, how much disposable income they had, where I could, you know, position myself within the market. So that went on probably nearly for about a year before the business really kind of took off. The first year we we did a sort of a few test cases. To, we, uh, my main market was in northern Italy, so I used to bring clients over from Italy to the UK, and. Um, and we sort of tweaked a little bit here and there and we, we we created an offer that was amazing. It was an amazing offer. There was nobody else who offered anything at the at the standard that we did. And so we were able to to charge a premium price for what we did. So from the first year to the second year, we had um a I think it was a ninety, ninety-five percent return rate on clients. And then the year after that we had a sixty-five percent return 
of the original clients came back again um, for that year and so on and so on. So within about, I can't remember the numbers because they just go, but probably about year four, we were turning over six figures um, from a little tiny seasonal business that started off from my kitchen table um, and it turned into a really successful business. It was tiring, um, but it ticked lots of boxes for me in terms of fulfillment and challenge. And, and actually most days in the beginning were really challenging. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't go to university. I didn't go to business school. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have parents who had had their own businesses. So every day was learning, you know, learning, learning, learning. And some days you messed up and some days were great. Um, and some days you spent money on stuff you shouldn't have spent money on. And, but, um, but it was good. It was a business that I was really proud of. Um, and then 2020 came, um, and in February, 2020 COVID hit Northern Italy, which was my client base. Um, and so by the beginning of March, I knew that my business was going to die and it was just a case of how long I was going to keep it on life support. So yeah, I'd say 2020 to 2021 was a very difficult year for me. We, um, that was two seasons for us. So 2020 was one season, 2021 was another season. We got some grants from the government, which was great. We changed the business model to, um, to an online business model as much as we could, but then when I sort of sat down and looked at it, it wasn't the business I started. It wasn't the business I created. It wasn't what I loved. I was doing something as a, a kind of runner up um, and I didn't love it. And so when we were looking at a third season, again, it was severely impacted. Um, I sat down with my husband and just said, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm, you know, I'm done and that's okay. And that was tough. It was tough to, um, to give up something that I'd spent 10 years building. He's he's really tough, and, and but get, getting to that point, I guess. Obviously, we know that good friend me friend of ours, Jeremy Jacobs, obviously talks similar just after lockdown, sort of um, had to do that. But uh, it's 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 a brave thing to be able to do, isn't it? Recognise when something actually, and actually, when you look at no fault of your own, like, how do you? How many people I spoke to on here, and you go you know, plan and do this, who had global pandemic. You can't yes, plan you can't, for that. Exactly. No, so you can't. It, it, that's something completely out of your control. But did, how do you view the business then at that, that now? Do you look back on it fondly that I've grew, grew something great and it got to a point that I just couldn't go on anymore? And that's a chapter that you, you, you've you closed the book on and you're okay with that? Or did, did, I am now. I'm really okay with it now. Yeah. Um, I wasn't in the beginning. I think it was, it was like somebody died and it was unexpected. It was shock. I, you know, I hope you've never dealt with grief, but if you have, it's that you go through the stages of grief. There's, you know, first the, the shock, then there's the disbelief, then there's the bargaining. You want to bargain with it. Um, then there's acceptance and then there's, you know, sorrow and, and grieving. And you go through all of those processes when your business dies um, in the way that mine died yeah. because it's unexpected. So it was, it was hard. It was hard in the beginning. There was a lot of shame around it, huge amounts of shame. There was a lot of... Did you feel like it failed then? Yeah, totally responsible. Even though, you know, you look back now and you say, of course, I wasn't responsible. I didn't create COVID. But you feel responsible because you've let so many people down. You've let so many people down. The situation has let so many people down. But it was also, um, it was it was difficult. It was a difficult time because my clients reacted very badly, understandably. Some of them got very nasty. Some of them threatened legal action. Um, so on top of the trauma of losing the business, I had to then fight with my clients. Um, and that, again, was unexpected and very difficult and very expensive. So, yeah, it, it was it was hard in the beginning. But now, um, now I see... I see that actually it was it was necessary for that to happen because if I was really honest, I'd fallen out of love with the business a couple yeah. of years before that. Um, but I would have stayed out of obligation, out of um, you know a sense of duty because yeah. you don't want to let people down. So this forced me to make a decision that actually was the right decision for me. Yeah. I think so. Tell me then uh, where where you are because obviously we met. Was that? Um, Obviously, at Freedom Works for for a bit, and and now to talk to me about now and and the future for, for you. 
Well, it's a difficult one. I've actually gone back into employment for the first mm -hmm. time um, in over 10 years. And um, there's a number of reasons for that. One, my kids are so much older and they don't need me to be around as much as they did when they were younger. Two, I, um, it was, I think, about financial stability. So mm -hmm. I, I think having gone through so much trauma financially um, and when we closed the business we had to sell our house and that was really yeah. crappy yeah we had to sell our house that had been our home you know the only home that our children had known their whole lives and it was beautiful we'd made the most beautiful beautiful home for them and then we had to tell them we were moving and that was hard um, and I think all of the the kind of stress and anxiety around money was so overwhelming that actually for me to go back into employment is such a relief um and it's 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 great actually it's challenging it's it's you know it, it's busy um and i'm you know got a lot to learn but i've gone back into into an industry that i worked in 20 years ago and it actually feels like coming home mm -hmm. it's quite nice yeah i didn't realize that about the, about the house as well yeah because it's tough. We had to, when I shut the salon, we had to sell one. Uh, we had two properties at a time. A flat we had for many years, but a yeah, home that we had, and you know, um, we, we ended up selling a house. And it's, again, I, I look back at those times, and I did. I felt like I'd failed and failed. Yeah, let, you do. You feel like you let, let people down. You know, Kelly had not made that decision to start a business and and had to sell a property and rent them for a long long period of time after but that's rubbish what, 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 what's your mindset like around that, that uh, at that moment where you you've got to sit down with your husband and say like closing the business and this is what's happening and, and then you have to sell the house and stuff like that where, where, where's your headspace at, at that? it comes back to shame again you feel so ashamed i felt so ashamed that I had failed. There's a lot of negative self-talk that went on. Mm -hmm. So it was all around um, disappointment, about failure, about shame, about guilt, um, about not being able to forgive yourself. Um, and actually, none of those things help you. None of those mm -hmm. feelings serve you. Um, and, you know, as Rachel was saying earlier tonight, you allow yourself to wallow for a period of time. And I did. I, I had a really good go at it. And then one day you're just like, OK, enough. Like we've, you know, we've we've felt sad. We've cried. We've, you know, we've had a complete breakdown about it. And now we need to move forward because this is not serving us as a family. It was hard for my kids, you know, really hard. And even now. I feel great now and and personally I can say you know I drive I drive past the house it's in the same town that we live in and um, I drive past it and I feel nothing I don't feel sad I don't feel um you know like um I, you know I wish we were still there I feel nothing there's no emotion I love our home our new home is lovely it's much smaller than the old one but actually I feel more connected to to my kids and you know, as a family, I think we're more connected because we're forced to be in a smaller space together. Whereas before the other house was too big and it got to the point where, you know, the kids would disappear off into their rooms and we couldn't see them, we couldn't hear them. We, you know, so it's really changed our family dynamic and, and I love it. I, I love where we are. Amazing. Lee, thank you, listen, for, for sharing your whole story so openly and, and honestly with me. And, and it's so inspiring to listen to you. And you know, you know, when you meet people and you have a connection, you think, oh, just for the first time I met you, I felt that way. And and, and listening to your story more depth and, and just makes me love you even more. Honestly, oh, you're, it's you're completely mutual. You're an amazing person. You really are. And I think um, what, what, what you've actually the, the, looking at all, like you said, talk about failure and them things, but the, look at what you've created with the worthy mums and dads alone for me and listen to nothing to do with financial and other success but what the purpose and what you've achieved with that is far outweighs anything when it comes to money and and financial success that for me is is true success thank you and that's, that's an amazing thing to be really really proud of our path and, and amazing we're, we're gonna um we're gonna finish up as always with our quick fire questions as you, know, Ready. you know about so look what one piece of advice do you give to your 18-year-old self? Uh, wait. Wait, because what you're experiencing now is not how it's always going to be.
who's been your biggest inspiration throughout your life and why? I think every woman who has ever started a business while holding a baby on her hip and cooking a roast dinner and making Halloween costumes and baking a birthday cake all at the same time. Absolutely love that. <laughs> Could you recommend a book or a podcast for your listeners? Mm, yes. There's a, there's a theme here. I love women and I think women are amazing and I think they're resilient and strong and brilliant and capable of so much more than they think they are. So for me, um, there's a podcast, it's very American, but um, there's a lady called Tracy Litt and she does a podcast called What Would She Do? And for women, it's it's brilliant. It just taps into all of those feelings of insecurity or not enoughness. Or, um, and she's really, really direct about how she talks about it. And, and it's about learning to um, accept yourself and learning to be kind to yourself and learning to put tools in place to help you feel better about you and about the work that you're doing. So that's one. Uh, books. I loved Shoe Dog, Story of Nike. Oh, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was beautifully written and um, and a real story of bravery and a, and a bit of winging it. And um, yeah, a lot of a lot of hard work. I loved that one. And I think for anyone starting out in business, I would recommend Profit First. Okay. Um, it's an amazing book. It's um it's so simple. By the time and even the author says this, by the time you get sort of twenty pages in, he's already told you the punchline. But then he goes into more depth later in the book, and it's all about, you know, with your financials of your business, putting your profit aside first before you pay anyone else, before you pay your suppliers, before you pay anybody. You put your profit in a separate account first, and it's about segmenting those pots of money so that when you get to the end of the month, you don't go, oh, well, there's no money left for me. Yeah, it's a good one. That's, that's interesting. Oh, I'll definitely look out. Thank you. Well, look, final one. What is your one rule for living a fulfilled life? Surround yourself with positive people, and it's okay to have a culling exercise every now and then to remove negative people from your life. Our previous guest, Matt, Matt Turner. Do you know Matt from Creative Project? I don't think so. <laughs> we, we talked about his very subject about toxic people he's actually he, he's quite funny he said exactly that about having a car yeah every year i do 12 months people. me really? too yeah 12 months call i think when i was 27 i came out of a really really destructive relationship mm. um and i moved house and i changed jobs and i changed my mobile number and those people that i didn't want in my life i just didn't tell them i was moving and it was the most the single most cathartic thing i have ever done in my life because it gave me an opportunity to completely reset and to then forge my life in a way that i wanted to with only the positive people that i wanted in it Love that. brutal but yeah, effective yeah. <laughs> it, it, he, he goes to his office and he's got a sign on the wall that says no tickets yeah and that is exactly his mate. he said yeah I won't, I won't work with them i won't employ them i won't have them in my life no clients anything and that's it good and for him he, he goes in my, it's, it's words really to live by yeah, definitely absolutely. thank you thank for you so having much. me amazing i've really really enjoyed it thank me too thank and you sir. So, and that as they say is a wrap for now for now <laughs>